With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Screen Talk. I'm Ann Thompson. I'm Ryan Latanzio. And uh, we are uh, heading, hurtling toward uh, the finale. What we're going to do today, the Oscar finale, the awards finale, what we're going to do today is a little wrap up on some of the recent award shows, see where we are. And then we're going to rank the shorts in order of basically their likelihood to win. That doesn't, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about whether we like them or not or whatever personally, but we're going to pick the ones that we think are going to win so that you can win your Oscar pool. And we're going to start before we get into that and some other things, we're going to start with uh, a movie that we both like a lot and we want to you know, recommend to you Love Lies Bleeding, which, which is Rose um, Glass's follow-up to uh, her big debut, uh, St. Maud, British filmmaker, edge of horror to her work, no question. So this this movie this movie starts out, first of all, I am an unabashed Kristen Stewart fan, and this is one of her best performances ever. And there are moments, this is a lesbian romance, that's how it starts, but it's also poor people, you know, people in a sort of God-forsaken place, people who aren't very smart, in in most in many ways they're not educated let's put it that it's really way. bad mullets as well and Kristen Stewart has never looked worse right but she she still looks great because she's Kristen Stewart and she falls for this woman who's a weight weightlifter build body a bodybuilder who wants to compete in Vegas and and the the trick of the movie which is so brilliant is that Rose Glass does not fill you in she doesn't tell you who they are or she just gives you this sort of easy intro and you move in and then there's some great sex incredible sex and Kristen Stewart adores this this woman the 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 way she looks at her the way she desires her is extraordinary is palpable and uh it's pretty hot it's pretty hot sex Ed Harris is in it that's when the whole thing starts to darken he plays the dad uh, Ryan, you you can take it from there. It, it's it's a it it gets darker and more. You learn more about the characters, and I think that's the brilliance of it is the way she sort of withholds information as you go. Yeah. So Love Lies Bleeding premiered at Sundance. I actually did not see it at the festival. I chose to go to a party that night, and in some ways, I am kind of glad that I waited. I saw it in a small screening room here in New, here in New York at 10 a.m. It was pretty intimate. I loved this movie. Like this for me is my Dune part two. I feel I feel animated and electrified by this movie, and it like gave me it gave me a feeling of life that I can't totally articulate yet. Um, but I, I was sort of actually just describing it to someone as a kind of lesbian white trash version of Drive. Um, it, it has because it has such graphic um, violence in which there is violence. Multiple... It, it, it isn't dissimilar from magazine dreams. And the one who um, played by Katie O'Brien, who uh, she acquires a sort of roid rage, if you will, where she really the movie really kind of starts to lose its mind along with her, um, but never 
does Rose Glass not have complete control of the material? She showed a lot of promise with the 2019 horror film St. Maud that kind of got lost in the pandemic. It's sort of a possession type of a horror movie um, that really felt more of a primer for for things to come. Critics and- really raved about it, uh, especially uh, in, in England. But but the, the trick here is that she's a good filmmaker. This is this is someone as you're, you're right. She's in control. Whatever she decides to do, she's in control of it, and she's making those decisions. So she lets the movie go off the rails for the last third, and you learn all sorts of things you didn't know, and you find out that these two characters, they're they're complicated, <laughs> and they're not necessarily. Uh, you know, you start to realize that that there's a reason why Kristen Stewart has certain skills. Let's put it that way. Uh, yeah, I mean, this movie goes places that you will never be able to predict in a million years. Ed Harris is great as a slimy, disgusting. He's got a horrible. I don't even know what you call. What's it's it like a when you're tail. when you're a bald? You're bald, but you still have a ponytail, and that you're kind of ex hippie drape look. over your shoulders. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's got. Um, he keeps disgusting beetles as pets. And at one point, um, eats one of them. Yeah, really no, that was that, that's where I mean, the movie was going. It's a very gross movie. There is a great deal of close-ups on all manner of bodily horrors, bodily fluids. No, but the, I didn't there's a find murder in the movie that disgusting. is shocking, really yes. shocking. Yeah. Even I mean, we've seen it all, Ryan. You and I have seen it yes. all, and this murder is shocking. It is, and you think that it's not going to show you the viscera of it sort of the way that this murder is shot. And then it does later. And it's really shocking. Uh, so she anyway. she knows she knows what she's doing. But she's also there's this great moment where Kristen Stewart's character at the gym decides to, you know, you realize that she's dealing in these steroids. She's passing them along. She's making there's a there's a transactional thing going. That's why she has them. That's why she's able to give them to her her girlfriend. It cuts to Ed Harris's character dealing guns. And doing the same thing, in effect, at a different level. Yeah. She's learning. She knows she is, she is his daughter, in, in, in effect. Even if she's estranged from him, even if she hates him. Yes, yeah, exactly. He's an arms dealer, and uh, there is a very dark history to this family that the movie slowly begins to explore. Uh, I think it's just fantastic. And But don't really... you think... Even if you love it, and I love it too, but it go it takes a a jump, a leap, um, a pivot to a point where there's there's another death and another person getting rolled up in a rug, and you kind of go, okay, already, how many of these are we gonna see? You know, there she's taking chances that the audience is gonna rebel. Uh, yeah, I mean, it becomes almost comical the amount of bodies. To pile up and how they need to be disposed of it becomes almost a running gag in the movie uh i yeah i i can't i can't wait to see this one again this is the best movie i've seen all year well i'm excited because i i whenever i discover a new director who's really gifted it makes me happy and 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 whenever kristen stewart gives a performance like this it also makes me happy she just feels unleashed Unchanged. She's a great. She's a big, she's a great actress. All right. Now we have other things to cover, including various changes at the different comics. So we've been waiting. Everybody's been gossiping all over Hollywood about who's going to take over at Netflix, right? But the first person to change their job before the Netflix job was announced was Sean Bailey, who was running live action over at Disney, and he announced he was leaving. And it turned out he had been on the list to get the the Netflix job, and he didn't get it. 
and he still lost his job. You can't stay. You can't stay when you've gone out and said, I want another job. It just doesn't work like that. And he had been there for like 15 years, right? And and never, he he made these movies, these live action uh, versions of, of the animated movies. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. I never understood how he lasted so long, to tell you the truth. Um, I never, he wasn't somebody who could boast of, of you know, Hey, I made Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. You know, I mean, it, it doesn't. He wasn't one of those people who said I developed and and made something really cool, which you could say of David Greenbaum, who's replacing him, who's the, who used to be head of Searchlight with Matthew Greenfield. The Greens they were known as a team, and now Greenfield stays and Searchlight continues, and I think it'll be in very good hands. And Greenbaum, who's a very effective leader and schmoozer and someone who can handle talent, you know, he's one of those people who has a, a great deal of, of poise and understands movies. However, I don't see how his skills, uh, you know, Searchlight is Searchlight. I don't see how his skills are going to come into play, particularly at Disney live action. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, it's like, are we going to start seeing art house versions of Disney IP? No, but I do think that this signals that the studio is pivoting away from things like the live action Beauty and the Beast or Aladdin um, and maybe to more um, thoughtful filmmaker driven sorts of work that's not just digging into their own library. And also, you know, Disney had a kind of pretty rough 2023 20, at the box office with Somebody Indiana had Jones, to take the, the Marvels. Fall. Exactly. Yeah. He's the fall guy for all of this. And so yeah, it's it's definitely a go. shot in the arm for the studio and its live action films. But then what does that mean for Greenfield? Do they then, is there someone at Searchlight who then succeeds Greenbaum or he's going to just duo. They fly were a solo? Team. So yeah. it's just, he's flying solo now. He's fine. He's really good. I like him a lot. I liked them both. Uh, they know what they're doing, uh, working with Hulu also, by the way. And, yeah, I was going to say the other thing that Greenbaum definitely did was link Disney more closely with Hulu, where a lot of these films that are, especially like ones fresh. that are geared toward Hulu, adults. Like are, yeah. yeah, they're smart and they had they they had taste, but they also understood that they had to play, that they were part of the same thing that A24 and, and Neon are doing. You know, what they figured out, they had to get younger people into the theaters and they did with poor things of all things. Poor Things has been, a, a, it's, it's past the $100 million mark. I mean, it's it's extraordinary, actually, worldwide, uh, globally. And, and, yeah. and but did, did Disney Films itself doesn't have, like the Walt Disney Company, doesn't have a movie coming out for a while. I mean, they're doing this thing where they're re-releasing the Pixar movies that went on Disney Plus during the pandemic in theaters. I don't know how that's going to pay off. This is a solution that a number of studios are relying on because of the, just the lack of product the moment to put into theaters no it's it's a thing um i mean the whole marvel thing is going to play out the whole star wars thing is going to play out we'll be we'll see we'll yeah see and the goes. other thing i would say about green bomb is that with live action i think it's sort of easy much easier to fix than marvel or lucas lucasfilm where we have all these interconnected worlds i mean those are going to need those need obvious real triaging and well, that's they a, needed, an industry-wide concern 
no question, no question. And and the other the other thing that I think is exciting about Greenbaum is that he has incredible relationships. He knows the talent, and he he can bring some fresh blood. Let's let's get some good, you know, um, something like Ford versus Ferrari, which came over from Fox, you know, with Emma Watts on board. You know, that was the kind of movie that I would love to see Disney do. You know, it it, it really uh, I. The, the depressing thing about Netflix, all right, so the new guy is named Dan Lin, okay? So if you look at, at the company uh, site, you know, he's he's been running Ride, Stop, Rise or something like that. And he's, so he's, he's admirable for being prolific and creative. I mean, he's got the Lego movies. He's got the last Airbender, which was at Netflix. So he worked at Netflix. The Ant films as well. And he did a lot of films. The, the mostly the Lego movies are his. Um, he did the the series, the Two Popes. I mean, the only thing about that is that you look at those credits and you go, okay, there's a lot of other people on those on those credits too. You know how how much was he responsible creatively? But you, you can't deny that the man has made, you know, is is attached to uh, an enormous number of of movies and so that's the new guy but if you look at the movies they boast about franchises and everything if you look at the movies they're very mainstream they're very commercial they're they're he's he's looking for franchises and of course that's what netflix wants him to do yeah i mean there's something a little depressing about that because scott stuber is somebody that made netflix a destination for filmmakers for a he tour, had to you know? do that that was a pivot yes. he had to accomplish um, he made people you know it's like People like Inyaritu, Jane Campion, Noah Baumbach, they, you know, he made them all want to work there and be there. And he really gave them creative free reign. And so I don't, you know, this franchisification of Netflix that is a potential in the hands of Dan Lin. Um, I don't know how to feel about that. I would like to think that that. Um, you see, I think that Stuber did well when he was working with intelligent filmmakers and supporting smart he was you know he gave notes to to bradley cooper that changed the beginning of the movie and cooper you know called him out you know and said thank you shouted him out so it it, it it's it's not he was he was a smart knowledgeable experienced executive with relationships he and ted sarandos got into you know a long-term uh wrangle over theatrical he believed in theatrical he comes from that place i don't think that's going to happen with dan lynn um yeah. but it's it's He's so he's charged with making better movies. The the ones that failed under Stuber's watch were these, you know, the Gray Man and and the Russo brothers and and you know uh, Chris Evans kinds of you know formula movies. Yeah, for for every Gray Man, there was like an extinction that I think that it's not a it's not a respected movie critically, but that was a really, that was a big success for Netflix. But yeah, something like the gray man was pretty disastrous. Um, they, their attempts at franchises have not really paid off so far. Yeah. So that's what Bella Bajaria wants. And she wants someone who knows what they're doing. He was up for the DC job at one point. Yeah. Nobody was... wants to inherit that mess, you know, and it's with now it's with the right people, right? Peter Safran and James Gunn. They yeah, made no, sense. I feel good about that. The, I feel to, fine to, about uh, that. Yeah. They've never figured it out. <laughs> no. How long no. have we been watching DC? You know, it's only it's always been up to the filmmakers to make it work. The individual projects. Yeah. You, you know me. I never see these DC movies. So. 
<laughs> You'll have to let me know about how the how it is under the new regime. Well, I've never seen. I think I watched Aquaman on a on an airplane over somebody's shoulder, basically. Yeah, um, I, I know. I always say this, but this has sort of become my line on the podcast. But I will never see Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I'm all right. So then we have uh, all right. Last weekend was incredibly busy. You stayed in New York like a, a smart person. Um, I stayed in my living room for the SAG Awards and enjoyed it. It worked on television to a degree. It was too long. It, it needed to be shorter. And uh, this is the first time Netflix produced a, a, an award show like that. They'll figure it out and they'll make it better next time. They won't have the, the interviews on the show. Um, did you actually watch it, Ryan? Yes. No, I, I mean, I didn't travel to L.A. for various reasons for this particular weekend. But I mean, I was along for all of it. I didn't tether to my apartment. I didn't leave my home. Uh, I watched the SAG Awards, uh, covered that one, watched the Spirit Awards, followed along the PGA Awards. I feel like there's another one I'm forgetting. Oh, Berlin Film Festival Awards. There was just a lot going on that weekend. The SAG Awards. Yeah. These cutaway interviews with Tan France, who's one of the hosts of Queer Eye. Those didn't work. Those did not. I liked him on the red carpet. I thought awkward. he did well on the red carpet, but not the, the interviews. And the, the only one that was fun was the one with Pedro Pascal. Who was drunk, <laughs> admittedly and, drunk. And, and, and he was like flirting, basically, with Ted France and saying that he wanted to make out with Kieran Culkin. I, I, he's really flirting with coming out, I think, Pedro Pascal. He was flirting with Coleman Domingo on the Vanity Fair uh, videos. Any day now, the water is warm. Come we'll join see. us. We'll see. <laughs> but I'm happy for him. I'm glad he's winning. And then, and then, and then, Stephen Yun showed up with his with his you know with his envelope and gave it to him. So <laughs> so that was fun. That was enjoyable. Um, and then and then you had so what did we get from the SAG Awards? We got a win uh, for Lily Gladstone, which I do think I've come around. I think she's going to win. Best Me too. Actress at the yeah, Oscars. I've come around as well. Uh, the killers of the flower moon thing, it'll give them an opportunity to give uh, Scorsese one one award. And and she she has been lovely and likable and uh, politically effective throughout the uh, in a pure way. And I think everyone sort of fell in love with her as a result of that. So I don't think the Academy voters are going to resist uh, that political moment. Let me just pull up the winners list. Well, no, Robert Downey Jr. No. won again. Nothing unexpected. Nothing unexpected. Kelly and Murphy unexpected. won, which means he'll win the Oscar as well. And, you know, if anybody, if, if Paul Giamatti had a chance, he had to do it at the SAG Awards. And he's not going to. And no, Dave Vine, of course, won, as she would be expected to do. Um, and Oppenheimer won, um, you know, the ensemble. So so that's that's what we expected Maybe. as well. Not that Dave Vine's not deserving, but you would think that there were no other supporting actress performances this year because she really is just winning. Well, the thing is, is that The Holdovers is very popular. And I watched it again and I realized something which I hadn't quite registered the first time. As good as she was, I didn't realize that she makes the movie. It's her. That movie is really, really centered on her and she's carrying the emotion. She's helping the other two characters reach what they need to reach, but it's her story, really, in a way. Well, there was a strong showing for the holdovers at um, the, the Indie Spirits, where it won more than any other movie, uh, including 
uh, Dominic oh, Sessa winning a Young Sessa. Actor Award. Yes, so he's going to go cinematography, places. which which I found sort of dumbfounding. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get that one. I mean, and that's that movie not looks up for great, the Oscar anyway. No. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, the it it did, but but uh, the the big wins were past lives. So you got you got the best feature and best director, which was great. I was really pleased, delighted to to have her have a big win, Celine Song. At the the there was a weird thing going on. I mean, I think that uh, Ad Bryant was actually very funny, and and I liked. Her oh, I loved her roasting of the celebrities, like doing a bad job hilarious. of roasting. That was hilarious. Stupid bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Greta Lee, you're a slob and a slut and a stupid bitch. <laughs> Um, but there was something else going on at the awards that even that's I what ruined heard. it for me, really. Yeah, I and I, you could. So there was a yeah. So there was a protest. I mean, this this takes place on the beach in Santa Monica, and so the big tent. And I was at the back of the tent, and I ran out to see. All the journalists eventually ran out to look and see what it was. A single guy, or maybe there were two later, with with a bullhorn and a loop, and it was very huh. loud. It was yeah on a loop Palestine, just calling for, for a ceasefire, ceasefire. And you know, this one of these guys, um, Mara, Marawi Jarima. I don't hopefully I said that Good right. Job, actually Ryan. was the winner of the John Cassavetes Award, which the spirits give for a movie under uh, made for under a million in 2021. So he has been to the spirits before. Um, it's it, you know the, one of the only people to even acknowledge that it was going on was the Iranian filmmaker Babak Jalali, director of um, this black and white movie Fremont that was in Sundance last year, that won a, a couple of prizes. Uh, he was one of the only people to even acknowledge it. There was something like sort of dystopian or darkly ironic about the fact that here are these people like begging for Hollywood to re react to this urgent, important piece of news. And they're literally like going out of their way to try and drown it out and ignore yeah, it. They put buses outside yeah. in front of it. And it's, it's it, you know, it's a it's a free country. And he had every right to protest. Yeah, absolutely. And his message was was a message that many people in the tent presumably agreed with. But honestly, they can't say that because they don't want to get blacklisted. Nobody you know what can I mean? say it. No, nobody can't Mark say Ruffalo anything. did it. He did it in, when we did our thing in Santa Barbara, uh, the tribute. He made a big, big speech about. But it's it, it's always about violance isn't going to bring peace. It's it's it has to be couched, couched in, in sort of way. vaguer terms. Yeah. And as a Christian, which I am, you I are? find that I uh, yeah what I, I find. <laughs> I find okay. I was raised as one. OK, I, sure, I went sure. to a school called St. Hilda's. I, you know? I just have never heard you say the word. I was I'm raised by nuns. I went to church. I got confirmed. All that stuff. Are you praying? Do you do prayers? No, no, no. no. I'm not I don't religious. see that for you so much. I'm not religious. No. Not at all. <laughs> but there's that little girl, you know, who wanted to be a nun buried. The little girl inside, inside me. me. <laughs> so so the, the, the idea being that I don't feel empowered to make to make statements as a, as someone who isn't Jewish. I don't feel like it's my place. No, no. I, I can mean, agree with it. It's or not, it's not our place, it, you know, you know in, but in, it's not my place to make those statements. You know, someone like David Ehrlich on our staff has gone overboard trying to raise money to help. And, and he, Gaza. he has approached this. Um, there's a whole thing that happened at the Berlin, Berlin film festival with their social channels getting hacked by, hacked. um, 
yeah, by pro-Israeli hackers that then led to one of the winning filmmakers who made this pal- documentary about Palestine, uh, No Other Land, led to him. Now he's being sort of um, harassed um, by Israeli mobs, so he says. Um, but what I wanted to say about this is what did this is that David approached this very well and that he wrote a memo to distributors to buy, you know, buy movies um, out of the Berlin Film Festival, because that hasn't not much of that has happened. But in there, he sort of called upon the festival um, to react differently. And so I thought that was a sort of classy way to approach it in terms of a story. I think one of the I hope I'm not wrong, but I, I believe I read that one of the uh, leaders of the festival said that it would have been appropriate for people to speak on the stage and say what they thought, but it wasn't appropriate to hack the site the way that they did. That's right. That's right. And and the and the Berlin mayor like jumped to this conclusions upon the hacking and called the festival anti-Semitic and all these things. So it's just been it's continuing to fraught. unravel. Yes, very fraught for very an already fraught, fraught festival. And, and uh, you know, the world around us continues to be fraught, which is why something like lies, Love Lies Bleeding is such a great escape, you know, yes. from, from all that. But um, so the takeaways, uh, PGA, uh, back to the banalities of, of awards, uh, the PGA, of course, went to Oppenheimer um, and it also went to uh, the... Um, uh, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, which I do think is going to win at at the Oscars. You think over you think over Miyazaki. Yeah, I, I do. And and uh, and and you and I talked about the Miyazaki. It, it is a little bit strange. The movie itself, you know, probably as beautiful so for, and wonderful for as this it is. Group. That's disappointing. Yeah. I really, I was really hoping he would win this time. Well, he's but... in the he's in the running. He's in the yeah. running. So the spirits are are not going to have a huge impact on the Oscars but you know Davine continues to win and uh she will she will move move forward uh she can't be denied so so we're looking at the shorts let's each pick the one we like the best and then the one we think will win how does that sound okay, or do you sure, want to yeah. go through each title individually? no 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 let's do that you start okay so my favorite is letter to a pig uh, which um, Tal Cantor directed, and it's basically from France and, and Israel, and it's a Holocaust survivor reading a letter he he wrote to to a pig who saved his life in front of a classroom. The animation is exquisite, exquisite, hand drawn, black and white, probably rotoscoped to a degree, um, and it's it's just exquisite. And uh, if I were to pick the one um, that I would want to win, it, it would be it would be this one. What is which one is your favorite? Actually, that was my favorite, too. You know, it's it's a little bit it's told at a, a little bit of an emotional remove, maybe for this particular audience that we're talking about here. But obviously, the Holocaust is at the forefront of voters minds this year with something like zone of interest. And so I do see it fitting into the narrative there. However, I, the one I feel like that probably will win is War is Over, inspired by the music of um, John and Yoko, which is sort of this alternate reality version of World War One that's sort of set almost as a chess game between these soldiers. And, you know, it really is carrying the message of John and Yoko that is familiar to us uh, in wartime. And the animation on this one is is just breathtaking as well. I really I mean, I just even watching this on my computer, it was really and it was done by Peter by Jackson's uh, Weta. So I spoke to Sean Lennon at the at the Academy lunch and he kind of told me that he 
how this came about and he wanted to honor his, his parents and he wanted to put the song in a short and how it sort of developed. And and so the Peter Jackson animators really took it over and, and Thomas Newman supplied the the music. And I agree with you. I agree with you that this is going to win. It is not my favorite. All right. Then if we look at the uh, live action shorts, they're all good, actually. I liked every single one of them. The one there's one a French one called Invisible Invincible. That's that's my favorite. I I love that one. I, I really and this is about like um some uh, like a teenager who's dealing with mental illness. It begins with his suicide attempt, and then we go to the 48 hours that preceded it. Everything that he went through. It's a Canadian filmmaker named Vincent Rene Lorty, and I really want to see a feature from this guy. Like I no, really, he's a good filmmaker. He's, he's, he's a good filmmaker. An and the boy filmmaker. was was a very good actor. I was very moved. I was very moved by it. Um, Night of Fortune is also very good. It's a Den Danish movie, and it it's about the this guy who can't deal with looking at his wife's casket, you know, at the morgue, and this other guy helps him out, and he goes and you know hangs out with him when he opens his casket with his wife and i was very i was very moved very moved by it i was also very impressed with red white and blue which is about um a family you know a very sort of hand-to-mouth family in in arkansas who who a, a mother and her daughter have to leave the state you know uh to find what they need um it's it's yeah. agitprop though this red as white a, and blue as an abortion i thought it was well done I, I was i was i was it had a twist to it that i wasn't expecting and the after which is you know uh with netflix gave it a yellow o is also very good yeah, you know, that's about grief. I found the after to be really overwrought and heavy handed. Uh, and I felt like aesthetically it wasn't really that inspired when up against no, something like Henry Sugar how... or Invincible All that right. we're talking about. The level of filmmaking is not the same as some of these other movies. So the one that knocks everybody out of the water, I mean, there's no there's no comparison is the wonderful story of Henry Sugar from Wes Anderson. And it's a it's an extremely beautifully executed, gorgeous uh, theatrical. He's he's basically taking all these tropes from theater. He's taking some of the stuff he's been doing in uh, French Dispatch or Asteroid City and taking it to an entirely new level where the sits, the sets just in front of you fall apart and move away and the camera goes through and goes to another set. And it's just, and all the different narrators are saying he said, and she said they, they're reading the story, uh, the Roald Dahl story. And it basically starts with, with Ben Kingsley and it moves on, you know, and then you see the little house where Roald Dahl very meticulously uh, recreated where he um, wrote uh, his books and stories and that he's played by Ray Fine, So he's one of the narrators also. And then it goes to Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, who's very, very entertaining uh, as he takes on this uh, quest to be able to see through things. The, the archness of a the inherent archness of a Wes Anderson joint lends really well to the theatrical, like you said, short kind of a movie. I, I, you know, obviously he's got three more of these that are on Netflix. I've seen them all, but I, I would love to see more of this from him. And he seems like eager. You know, you talk to him. He wants to keep working in this short form. He loves it. He absolutely, but he's always loved the short films. He's always done, you know, the Prada and the American Express. Yeah, that Natalie Portman, like yeah, Life Aquatic yeah. prequel yeah, kind of thing. All that. Yeah. He loves doing that. He he meets new cinematographers. He he gets to play with 
with uh, different, you know, you get to experiment. A lot of a lot of filmmakers do commercials or music videos for just this reason. Sometimes they're lucrative, but they also get to play around with. He described it as the as having lower stakes. You know, you don't have the same weight, the same apparatus on your shoulders when you do when you do a short. So I I've talked to a number of Academy members. They're all voting for this. Oh, of course. And it'll be his first Oscar, believe exactly. it or not, after eight nominations. And it really doesn't feel like just a career award. I mean, it's really no, it's deserving, it's deserving on its own terms. Here we are saying the same thing at the same time. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Henry Sugar. Then we get to the documentary shorts. This group of movies was less impressive to me than the other two. And one of them, a couple of them, you and I talked about this, uh, The Last Repair Shop feels, it's very well done. There's nothing wrong with it. It's the one about uh, instruments being repaired and and it's in New York and it's, it's, it's quite lovely in many ways, but it feels very manipulative, emotionally manipulative. I don't know if you, what did you think of that one? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's the case for, for a number of these other films too. I, I, I too wasn't as impressed with the selection. I feel like the ABCs of book banning seems like a movie that could win just because it's going to win. I mean, it's MTV, so it has certainly has the highest profile here in terms of its campaigning. But it really is an emotional appeal to, um, you know, to audiences about censorship that's happening in school districts. I and was how very it's depriving upset by it. Yeah. Kids of of certain knowledge, especially when it comes to um, history of race in America and LGBTQ. Yeah. I mean, no, it's a very it's, it's a very devastating. Damning. It's it very is. damning. If, it, if, this, if these books are if, if anything, if it has anything to do with being gay or or being black or about history or uh, of, of, of race in America, anything like that, it's banned. It's, it's just it's just very straightforward. And it's horrifying. And the children Sheila Nevins directed this. Now, Sheila Nevins is this legendary woman who ran HBO documentary films, original documentaries for a really long time, you know, decades. She's sort of a, a you know, a huge figure in the documentary world, but she was behind the scenes, you know, supporting and she always had strong support for uh, agitprop political you know, movies like this. And this the, the clever thing about this this movie is the way that she interviews the kids. And the children, just, you know, they give a bunch of kids these books that are banned and they talk about them. It's very effective. You just are reminded one. that these minds need to be fed with good information. The other one that I also enjoyed is um, Nai Nai and Wai Po from Sean Wong about his uh, two grandmothers. Uh, this is also the director of Didi, one of the big winners from Sundance that Focus acquired. He won't win this. It was one, the but audience winner. Yes, yeah. he's good. He's about to. He'll have his moment in the sun with. No, he's been. He's like the hot thing right now. He's yes. he's he's this he's he's the new guy. So it's a delightful movie. The two women are his two grandmas who live together and hang out together. Hysterical. And they're hilarious and they're charming and it's just a wonderful place to be. It's very warm and cozy and fun, and slight. That's the only thing. So so I'm going to give the edge to the one that upset me the most, the ABCs of uh, same, planning. Same. All right, we're done. We did it. So po did folks, it. I hope you do really well on your Oscar uh, pools. Um, and next week, we are actually going to do uh, somehow, we're going to run through our real Oscar predictions, our final Oscar predictions. So if you need yeah, help. I 
We'll do that. I got to get started on that. And it's like every year I want to go like balls to the wall and make some offbeat prediction, but it never comes true. So I probably will be pretty straight-laced in my approach. year, Ryan. No, no, I'm it's ready for it to be over. right now. Can't wait for March 11th. <laughs> <laughs> Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.